2: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. This is part two of a discussion that we're having with Ducks Unlimited staff uh, and Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries staff. And on the previous... Part one of this, we spoke with a staff of Ducks Unlimited Canada where we're talking about the importance of the, of our partnership with our state agencies and how we can't accomplish our conservation objectives without working hand-in-hand hand with our states. And then the states, by the same token, need Ducks Unlimited to deliver on their mission efficiently and effectively. Joining us here on this episode, a couple of repeat guests, but we have one new one, so let's just kind of go around the table here first. Mike Carlos,
3: uh, Ducks Unlimited, Director of Conservation Programs here in Lafayette, Louisiana. So
4: uh, the, our new guest for this episode. Hey, Mike. My name is Cassidy Lejeune. I also work for Ducks Unlimited out of Lafayette, Louisiana. I am the Manager of Conservation Programs for South Louisiana.
2: Thank you, Cassidy. And then from LDWF. Thank you, Mike.
1: My name is Jason Olszak, Waterfowl Program Manager for the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, also based in Lafayette, Louisiana.
2: I will take a moment here just to tell our listeners that if you hear any kind of background noise on this particular episode, that's because we have some uh, rowdy Louisiana Ducks Unlimited state convention goers outside the room. We're here remote, We're taking advantage of the opportunity We're, uh, to, to meet with with people from uh, from different areas and to record this particular episode here. So forgive any of the background. It's going to get a little bit more rowdy later tonight when we do the roadkill cook-off. But for now, we're kind of buckled up in a room. Mike, I want to start with you kind of the same way we did part one, where we, we the, the big question, the importance of partnerships. But we're going, to, we're going to tweak that a little bit because on this episode, we're going to come back down to Louisiana, to the state level, talk about some of the projects that we do in in concert with LDWF, talk about how we use different programs to raise funds, to do work in partnership with LDWF. So from Ducks Unlimited's perspective, when we look at the Louisiana landscape, what are our priorities? What are the most important areas? Why are those areas important? Where are we doing work in this state and why? Yeah, um, well, thanks, Mike, again for having
3: me. I think this is an important message to get out to the to the folks, to the DU volunteers and others. Right, the membership of of the importance of the work we do here in Louisiana with our partners. I mean, that that's critical, and that, that's what makes it all work. Much like we talked about in the first episode. But here, um, our focus, again, for the priorities at a, at a high level for DU, Mississippi, Alluvial Valley, and the Gulf Coast are critical habitats, right? Uh, and both of them fall within Louisiana. So that's, that's an important piece of the puzzle for DU and their priorities. Um, Cassidy and I work primarily on the Gulf Coast um, with the RICE program and, and um, again, our partnerships, the other landowners throughout the coast. And with the land loss issues here on in coastal Louisiana, Louisiana, it's critical that we do all we can to provide that, you know, better, to protect that habitat, enhance the habitat that's remaining, um, as well as work with, with rice farmers and other landowners to enhance that habitat. Um, And doing that, of course, is partnerships. And again, um, Wildlife and Fisheries is a big landowner just in coastal Louisiana. It's over half a million acres. Um, And again, the public can utilize that. So a lot of these projects that we do, working hand-in-hand with Wildlife and Fisheries and their staff, enhances that wintering waterfowl habitat, therefore enhancing a lot of times access uh, for hunting and for fishing. But the primary part is the habitat for wintering waterfowl.
2: Jason, I want your take on that question as well. From Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries perspective, perspective what are your priorities when it comes to habitat management, conservation, protection, acquisition uh, for the sake of waterfowl and waterfowl hunters?
1: Well, I would give a very similar answer to, to the one Mike just gave. Um, you know, we're partners in NAWAMP, partners in the, in the joint ventures here in Louisiana. So Mississippi, lower Mississippi Valley uh, and the Gulf Coast, absolute priorities for us. That's where the bulk of our birds are when they, <clears throat> when they migrate here. Um, that being said, we, we, we do have work up the Red River Valley, up into northwest Louisiana. There are some lowlands, uh, wetlands there that, uh, um, that, that we are involved uh, in managing, uh, both public and private as well.
2: And it's not just wintering waterfowl, wintering and migrating waterfowl that you're interested in as a state agency and your hunters and others are interested in. So talk about that as well. I know, I know very well about the importance of Louisiana for certain species of ducks that breed here. So talk about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The uh, so within the Gulf Coast region, uh, the model duck is uh, you know a, a non migratory uh, species that that we share with Texas, Alabama, uh, and Mississippi. Uh, in addition, the uh, the bottomland forests of the Mississippi River Valley, the Atchafalaya, the Red River, um, the, very important to wood ducks. Um, in addition to those, we've also got black belly whistling ducks, full whistling ducks, um, and even um, hooded mergansers, uh, cavity nesters down here in Louisiana.
2: So there's a lot of important work that needs to be done to support waterfowl throughout the annual cycle, throughout the year down here in Louisiana. It takes a number of different things to do that and different ways to do that. Cassidy, I want you to talk about, give us an idea of the, the type of projects let, we can start with the coastal marsh. I, I think that's you're, you're intimately familiar with that. I actually don't know how much work you do up in the MAV. You can kind of talk about that. Do your responsibilities stretch up into the MAV? Uh, I know you're intimately familiar with the the type of projects that occur in. In, in the coast. So, just give our listeners an idea of when we say we're delivering habitat in Louisiana, what are we talking about in a range of project types?
4: Yeah, I'll first say that that uh, I work out of Lafayette, Louisiana, in our Lafayette field office, and we're, we're uh, mainly responsible for the Gulf Coast. Uh, we, we do some work kind of in central Louisiana through our Louisiana Waterfowl Project. That's probably kind of the dividing line, but a vast majority of our conservation efforts are on the coast or near the coast.
2: And so, who Who's responsible then for what the, the conservation work that we do in the north half of the state? Remind me of that. So so DU does work in the northern part of the
4: state, no doubt. There's a lot of a lot of effort that goes into conservation both on private and public lands up north, but that's handled out of our Monroe, Louisiana office and our, our Jackson regional
2: office. Okay. All right. Sorry for interrupting you there. I just want to make sure we kind of filled that gap because I was trying to, I'm scratching my head and I, as you were getting to it, I said, oh yeah, it's Monroe, our Monroe office up there. But for people that didn't know, we have an office up there. So here in, in Louisiana, in coastal Louisiana, since you're most familiar with that, talk about the type of projects that we deliver when we say habitat conservation.
4: Okay, uh, well we do we do a little bit of everything. Uh, we, great thing is we have uh, a diverse group of uh, employees with 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 good background expertise. We've got engineers, surveyors. We've we've got uh, biologists, uh, and and so we're capable of doing a lot of things. We're capable to, capable of doing projects from start to finish. Uh, but out on the coast, uh, we we do a lot of uh, kind of habitat creation type projects, like terracing projects, or uh, we've done a couple of marsh creation projects. Uh, we do a lot of water water level control or so. Salinity control through water control structures. That's one of our kind of bread and butter type uh, project features that we do kind of out on the coast. Uh, we, we've done uh, some shoreline protection projects as well, and uh, we do uh, crevasses pretty regularly, kind of on Chaffalaya and, and, and Mississippi River uh, you're gonna, deltas.
2: You're going to have to explain that. I can guarantee you
4: crevasse. Uh, okay. and, I, and I know
2: you can do it because I've heard you do it before.
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so crevasses are, 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 are basically a, a, a cut in a channel, a cut through the bank of a channel to move freshwater and sediment out into areas that need it. Uh, in in these, in these delta areas, sometimes uh, there's open water bodies that kind of get disconnected from the river. And, and it's a way to reconnect those open water areas to the river. And, and whenever you do that, freshwater and sediment uh, helps to kind of nourish and, and build up those open water areas and create good emergent marsh habitat.
2: So, I cut you off. What other pro- type... Uh, what other type of projects were you going to describe there the the last thing i'll mention is we have
4: done a few acquisition projects in in uh, south louisiana not too common but we have done that and uh, and then we also do some uh, kind of financial assistance technical assistance work mike mentioned it earlier through the rice stewardship program and uh, in, in mainly in southwest louisiana uh, helping helping uh, rice producers out and in keeping keeping rice on the
2: landscape as i'm listening to you answer that question i it occurs to me that we could spend a half hour on each of those project types talking about specifically why we are doing those particular activities why they are beneficial from a terracing standpoint from a beneficial use of dredge material you referred to it as marsh creation to uh, breakwaters rock breakwaters saltwater intrusion control measures there's a whole story behind each of those in terms of the challenges that we're trying to mitigate through the delivery of those uh, of those particular um, activities and we'll get into a couple of those as i ask you here later on to talk about some some individual projects that we're particularly excited about right now but rooted in that, I guess, if I had to I had to categorize it in two high-level labels, you might say, one would be kind of protecting what we have. That's through trying to reduce the rate of coastal erosion, coastal marsh erosion. There are a number of projects that you talked about there where we're trying to hang on to what we have, but then there's others where we're trying to enhance the productivity of those that we that we already have under management. It's not as though we can acquire or put a conservation easement on a piece of property and then just walk away and think it's going to forevermore be productive in the landscape that we have today because the landscape is so fundamentally altered by by a whole host of things. Jason, talk about that from the standpoint of how do you as a, as an agency sort of balance the priorities between trying to acquire new land yet maintaining the productivity of those already in your portfolio, because you have operations and maintenance and then, and and then sometimes the maintenance can be substantial where you have to refurbish levees, replace water control structures. Talk about the challenges of that within this massive land base that y'all have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh- the habitats in in the southern United States in general are um, you know they're undergoing succession, so management um, within the within the confines of of an impoundment or or a wetland uh, is really important otherwise they 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 lose productivity they lose that uh, those those uh, food resources, those duck energy days um, that we're trying to manage for uh, for for uh, wintering and uh, and and all season waterfowl. Um, there, you talk about you know the the balance between acquisition and and maintenance as well, and um, you know that that's something that we we really have to consider. Considering we have a finite resource of of personnel of employees that can that can take care of these lands, so um, that there, there actually have been opportunities where um, we have uh, perhaps not not pursued uh, a parcel of land that that would be too expensive to for us to manage, um, especially coastally. Um, some of those properties that, that, that may not be there uh, uh, in the future. So, Mike, I have a question
2: for you now. You've been involved on both the state level. You worked for LDWF for how many years? About 28. 28 years. And now, Duckside Limited for 10 years. So, you've been and part of... Eight, eight and a half. Yeah. Oh, Okay. And, and I will add that
3: Cassidy, <laughs> Cassidy has about what 12 years with Wildlife and Fisheries as well. Oh, that's right. I well. forgot about yeah. that. So that's important, doing similar work on the coast with with WMAs and refuges. So yeah,
2: That's right. I forgot about that, Cassidy. We did give you an opportunity to give you a, a bit of an intro here. We'll do that here in a second on your background and how long you've been with DU and where you came from. One of the questions that I get every now and then is like, well, how do we select a project? We're talking about our partnership with uh, between LDWF, between DU and LDWF. How do what does it what's that process look like where the conversations begin between our organizations on identifying a particular project and then moving that to completion? Talk about that a little bit, Mike.
3: Yeah, that's a good question and and how we decide in working with partners, especially wildlife and fisheries, to select a project. And it can be a number of ways and even more and and others can add. Um, But I guess the most uh, common way is one of the area managers will call us and say, hey, I've got a project or... We're looking to go after, say, a NACA proposal, and we will call them. What do you, you have? Any projects you'd like to, for us to, to pursue as a proposal, that kind of thing? And then, um, or we'll kind of strategize, maybe as staff, and say, "Hey, are there anything you know based on other work that we've done in the past, or things that we haven't done that we could we could." Uh, kind of add to or whatever. Um, and, then, and then, again, it would be going back to wildlife and fisheries staff and talking to them and, hey, do you, are you interested in doing this? This is the kind of funding we have. What do you think about this idea or oh, do you have other ideas? That's a typical way in working with wildlife and fisheries.
2: Cassidy, Jason, anything to add?
1: Well, that just speaks to the 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 importance of the partnership and matching funds, too, especially those coastal regions. It, it is... Uh, Orders of magnitude more expensive just to mobilize, um, whether it be um, a a refurbishment, uh, uh, enhancement of some habitat there on the coast. And again, going back to the expense, a lot of times that's not... uh, that's not within our budget, but when we can leverage those funds to double, triple um, what can go into to making a project happen, that's where DU steps in.
2: The other thing that I'll say from my perspective, what's really important in how that occurs or in what enables that efficient identification of a project that we can work on is the relationships, the personal relationships that we as staff of Ducks Unlimited and our agency partners or federal uh, agencies as well, the people that are managing all that land. We know one another. We work with one another on a a very regular basis. We develop these personal friendships. That goes a long way in helping us become comfortable with one another, trusting one another, because there is a lot of trust that goes on when you're having some of these conversations and trying to figure things out out and you learn how one another is thinking and you can partner on new ideas or creative ideas to make a certain project go and so uh that plays a big role in it as well am i am i right there cassidy
4: yeah absolutely it's it's a it's it's very much a partnership deal we end it together it's a two-way street sometimes it comes this way sometimes it goes that way uh but it's definitely working hand in hand with ldwf that's uh we we do a lot of that and that that's how we make a living yeah, and, I, and I'll, I'll interrupt here, Mike, for a second. So,
3: and it made me think that being former LDWF employees that you know whether you're managing an area or multiple areas, you, you take some ownership in those areas, right? And so you want to be involved, and you're and you take pride in being involved in your ideas and doing that. So that's that's a critical link, like you said, that partnership and having been there on both sides for both of us, uh, and then working with folks like Jason where we can come together um, with Jason and and the, and the area managers and talk about it. But um and but and, and sometimes maybe not agreeing with what they have in mind, but respecting the fact that, hey, we, we've been there, and, and uh, so we bounce a lot of ideas off that way kind of thing.
2: And this is a great place for me to reference the role that joint ventures play in facilitating some of these discussions and the partnerships. I worked for 13 years with the Gulf Coast Joint Venture down here in Lafayette, and there are joint ventures all across the U.S. and Canada, these regional partnerships. We've talked about them on previous episodes, but they provide a very effective forum and a very structured forum in some of them by which partners from federal, state, nonprofit, uh, and and private entities come together to discuss these types of things. I know here on the Gulf Coast, it's split into regional initiative areas and and the Gulf Coast Joint Venture uh has someone that chairs these initiative team meetings they come together once or twice a a year Cassidy you're the chair of the Chenier Plain initiative team meeting or initiative team and so you pull together a meeting at which these partners come together from the different agencies that all share an interest in waterfowl habitat conservation and bird habitat conservation you present some of these draft ideas for for projects and you all discuss them as a group and you uh, assess how they're going to contribute to the goals of the Gulf Coast Joint Venture, which ulti- ultimately links to the North American Waterfowl Management Plan, which we've all, all referenced in previous our previous little exchange here. So there, and, and it's not just within the Gulf Coast Joint Venture that those types of forums exist. The Lower Mississippi Valley Joint Venture has some conservation delivery networks that are very valuable. To, to them in facilitating this exchange of ideas and developing these relationships so we can identify these projects that that contribute to our overall shared goals. So uh, we kind of stumbled upon that little message there, that important message. And so I'm glad we did. Cassidy, before we get to the next question about um, kind of different programs that we use to help raise funds to, to deliver on some of the projects on, in partnership with LDWF, this is where I'll give you an opportunity to tell us about yourself. How long, where'd you come from? And how long have you been with DU, given that I failed to do that at the outset there?
4: yeah Mike no problem uh yeah so out of school I went to work for LDWF worked as kind of a field biologist for a number of years and and uh, made made my way up uh, to kind of a program manager level over the coastal WMAs and refuges I worked for the state for 12 years and then ended up uh, taking a job with DU started as a regional biologist and now I'm the, the manager of our Lafayette field office
2: My next question to you is talking about the specific programs. We heard on a previous on the previous episode about the Fall Flights program and how it is a very important mechanism for getting money to Canada, to uh, a, that that is used as leverage for funding from NACA North American Wetlands Conservation Act. NACA is hugely important in the work that we do in Louisiana and all the states all across the U.S. Talk about the other funding programs that may be available to us here in Louisiana and Mike if there's anything uh, from Texas that you want to throw out as another example because again this conversation is is relevant to more than just Louisiana it's just an example here but Cassidy here within your work in Louisiana what are some of the key programs that we use for funding these projects
4: yeah, Mike. Well, l- like you said, NACA is kind of our 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 bread and butter, our main go to uh, source. It's it's reliable. We know how to get the NACA funds. We've we've done a, a good job over the years of being able to put together packages and and know that system well. So that's kind of our our our, pri- our, our prime means of funding conservation work in, in in South Louisiana. But there's other other means as well. Uh, we we've been successful in the past with working with uh, NIF with the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation to get grant funding through through that through their programs they have a number of programs available and we've been able to tap into a few of those uh there, there's also other other opportunities our, our development folks like uh dods and rds you know they, they're they're good at raising private dollars and bringing private dollars in, in in the door to help fund conservation we've we've got a number of conservation projects that were fully funded through great partners like like the chevrons of the world and energy transfer and conoco phillips and uh, other other uh foundations and uh, beyond grant opportunities you know foundations and corporations and and the Uh, The development folks within DU do a good job of raising money, private dollars, uh, to to fund projects and and to the tune of we've done a number of conservation projects turnkey using privately sourced money uh, through those partners I just mentioned earlier, such as the Chevron's and the Conoco's and 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 uh, other other corporations and foundations. Um, In addition to that, you know we've got a great partnership with NRCS. They send a lot of money our our way to help with conservation efforts. Efforts. we've we've gotten grants through NRCS uh, federal dollars through the Natural Resource Conservation Service um, and uh, Mike you got any any of that I'm missing that you could think of no I think you I think you nailed it um, what about pretty good
3: what about
2: periodic like unexpected maybe short term funding opportunities maybe the Gulf Restore Act something of that nature is there funding available did you mention that we
4: we have gotten some funding we actually speaking of projects that we do we we've, we've kind of tapped into some. Uh, funding through nrcs but it's sourced through the the bb deepwater horizon incident it was some uh some nerda funding for water quality work in both southwest and southeast louisiana and that's kind of some of that temporary money that 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 isn't around long term but we were able to work through nrcs to get that funding and try to deliver some of that conservation work as well
2: and then in texas anything
4: yeah texas is pretty similar
3: um other than, I guess, the one big difference or a couple of big differences, but the primary one is that the all spill funds um, here in Louisiana, we have CPRA and they have a master plan. And uh, so much of that money, if it's not into NIFWIF where we can compete for it, that pretty much falls under CPRA's purview, right? But in Texas... Um, they don't have that and their general lands office is is kind of the cpra of texas but we can compete for those funds and we're a big player in the restoration community in texas so we we're able to um compete very well another avenue that we get more funding from in texas versus louisiana is u.s fish and wildlife service on their refuges and that's primarily because they're different regions um, and the funding availability. A lot of it's hurricane funds, and for some reason, we've done some work here on federal refugees here in South Louisiana, um, but in Texas, we've done a lot more, Uh, just a lot more funding. And a lot of those are big kind of shoreline protection projects, a lot of public revenue there. So those are the big differences. The one other thing, I don't know if Cassidy mentioned Quipra, working with NRCS. So we're working on one project now and these are much bigger projects than we're used to but we're just doing some of the engineering and design on that and we may do more of that in the future we'll, you know we'll see
2: so you said quipra i'm going to translate coastal wetlands planning and protection coastal wetlands planning protection and restoration act right? correct yeah so correct. that's for the people that may not be from louisiana and want to know what quipra is that's there you go
4: I'll also add that uh, when it comes to diversity of funding sources, we do also get money from LDWF directly. Uh, we talked about earlier about it. Some money goes to Canada. Well, they actually help fund some projects in Louisiana on private lands uh, to kind of help help those guys out in, in helping landowners better manage their wetlands for waterfowl. Uh, LDWF uh, graciously contributes $100,000 to us through the Louisiana Waterfowl Project to help with c- those conservation efforts on private lands.
3: Yeah, and of course, it, so we have the alternative in Texas, right? We work very closely with Texas Parks and Wildlife and have the Texas Prairie Wetlands um, project, right, that we do the same, very similar. Uh, the scale's a little bit different in terms of acreage, a little bit smaller projects in Texas and larger ones here.
2: And we could say have this same conversation and say very similar things about the state of Michigan, Wisconsin, New York, California, any other state that we want to talk about oklahoma kansas etc there are a lot of different funding opportunities out there at the state level some at the federal level that are going to apply across all those states but then there's the there's individual unique uh funding opportunities at at the state level and they're all very critical jason anything to add regarding those funding sources and maybe from ldwf or anything that we may have missed out on in that conversation
1: well i guess i'll take a step back um and you talked about prioritizing projects, and, and I, I think maybe one thing we we kind of skipped over there was, um, and but we alluded to later was was the joint ventures and the priorities that they set. So when an idea within LDWF comes in about a a potential project, um, you know that that that's one of the first things we'll reference is. How high does this rank, or how 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 highly of a prior, how high of a priority is this within each joint venture within Louisiana? Yeah, this has got some great potential. Number one to to go forward to get to gain partners and and also multiply that funding.
2: Thank you for bringing that back, uh, Jason. It's a very important point. As we kind of transition to close out on this episode, I think it would be valuable, although we've talked about the importance of this partnership across all the different states in which we work. We're here in Louisiana for this particular episode. I think it would be good to take the opportunity to highlight a project or two projects that we are particularly excited about right now that we're working in concert with LDWF on. I think we probably have three projects that we can talk about here. Jason, I want to start with you. Kind of offline, we were talking about some of the projects you've worked with in more of the northern part of, part of the state. So give us an idea of a, a particular project that you're excited about, that's occurring, uh, that, that you're familiar with.
1: I'll bring up uh, first, um, Sherburn uh, Wildlife Management Area, Iberville uh, Parish. Um, that was, it, it's a refurbished uh, project from a Former NACA project, probably thirty years ago. But um, as you as you know, you know the infrastructure, water control structures. They've got a there's a definite lifespan there. They don't last forever, especially the old metal ones. We've they, they, they've transitioned into to, to PVC and uh, uh, other materials that are a little more stout. So so at Sherburn, um, overall affects about a uh, thousand acres of moist soil management uh, moist soil areas um, uh, that involved replacement of uh, uh, I don't know the number off the top of my head but a number of water control structures a little bit of land leveling some sub impoundment to make management easier within large units um, you know subdividing those into smaller units uh, to, to, to facilitate management and then also um, one of the, the uh, one of our newest acquisitions um, the 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 Kennedy Tract or Bosco Road Tract. Some some up uh, near Monroe might uh, refer to it on Russell Sage Management Area, and that involved some some land leveling, uh, in uh, also the installation of of um, some plumbing to to better manage water. Uh, in addition to water control structures, levee breaches happen all the time. Rivers uh, uh, breach levees almost constantly, uh, depending on what, what river or bayou your, uh, your management area is located on. So, and those are expensive fixes too. So, so using, uh, um, knock-up uh, a NACA project to to address those is a is is a, a great opportunity for the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. Thank you, Jason.
2: And then Cassidy from uh, maybe here in coastal Louisiana. I know we have a ton of projects that we're working on. You have a sheet here. I'm going to point out here this on this sheet the Louisiana projects over the past ten years by way of our partnership with LDWF. You have nearly. million in funding there and nearly 50,000 acres. So we're obviously not going to go down through all of these. But here, uh, you can add anything to what I just said there in terms of those summaries. But that's incredible. $21.4 million, 50,000 acres, all through partnership with LDWF. What are some projects ongoing right now that we're particularly excited about in that partnership?
4: Yeah, Mike, I'll talk about two of them. The first one is at White Lake Wetlands Conservation Area in Vermilion Parish. We're currently installing a new water control structure. It's an additional water control structure within the hunting unit at White Lake. That hunting unit is about 16,000 acres. Uh, Currently, they have three water control structures to manage that 16,000 acres, and it's, it's not a sufficient capacity to adequately manage that kind of acreage. So working with LDWF, they came to us with the project idea. We were able to go out and find funding uh, through good partners like Chevron and the James M. Cox Foundation. Also Bass Pro contributed to, contributed to that project and, and others uh, to pull together about $650,000 to put in a brand new water control structure. It's, it's under construction as we speak, but but it will be wrapping up roughly at the end of the month. And then we also have a project down uh, at the mouth of the Mississippi River, a uh, project that's jointly on Paso Lutra Wildlife Management Area and Delta National Wildlife Refuge. The vast majority of it is on the state WMA. Uh, it's uh, some crevasse work down there and even a little bit of terracing, earthen terracing on Delta. Uh, that particular project is under construction, at least the first phase of it. Uh, We'll be wrapping up this month. Uh, Grand total, we have about $1.2 million to enhance uh, well over 1,700 acres uh, through that crevasse and terracing work. Our phase one is wrapping up now, but we'll be doing a phase two uh, in in about 12 months from now.
2: You sound like you're kind of familiar with those projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What's your role in in developing those projects, getting them to the point of, of their actual construction? That's one of the things that I'll point out. We don't do the dirt work. We don't move, you know, we don't install the water control structures, right? We contract that out. We design it and all that through our engineers. But just talk about your role in that because it's obvious that you know intimately what's going on with those projects.
4: Yeah, yeah, I kind of uh, I kind of work on the front end of the projects, working with LDWF and folks like Jason to come up with project ideas and and go out and finding funding uh, f- uh, to deliver the projects. We handle a lot of the the permitting, the design, all that stuff kind of happens in house, and then then our engineers kind of take it over and and uh, do the uh, contracting of it and and contract management whenever the project's under construction. But we hire out contractors to, to do what we say need to be needs to be done.
2: Kind of working with uh, the landowners like LDWF. WF to make sure it's done right. Yeah, so we have these engineers that, certified engineers that produce these highly sophisticated, I don't know what they, de- designs, designing the projects complete to whatever engineering specifications they need to be and then we raise the funds and contract it out and then our engineers provide the oversight, right, and do correct. the, go back to make sure it's done the way it was supposed to be. Right, correct. Yeah, so that's, a lo- that's probably, one, uh, there's a few things there that a lot of people probably don't realize. When Ducks Unlimited talks about, yeah, we deliver habitat conservation, they don't understand the multiple steps that occur from from project conception through the conversation with our partners to identifying the uh, funding source and a potential funding source writing the grant, raising additional matching funds, submitting the grant, waiting on the money to come in. Uh, I'm not sure at what stage does the engineering, the full engineering and design occur? Is it somewhere middle of the road or, or does it occur before we go out for funding? Well, they actually involved from the start. You know, our engineers are involved from the start
4: to kind of help us with, with coming up numbers and and, and uh, preliminary designs. So, they, they kind of involve from the start, but they really, when we get the funding in hand and we're ready to pull the trigger and get the project moving, they really take over and, and do all the E&D, the engineering and design that's needed to get it to where they're ready to solicit bids and hire a contractor and that sort of thing.
2: So, the bid is awarded, then the, the construction occurs, and... So it takes, what, from the time a, an idea is developed to the time when demobilization occurs, the equipment is off the site, what would be the average length of time? What are we talking, three years, four so like years? Two to three
4: years, two, three depending years. on how complex the project is. Yeah.
2: And then there are some, depending on the permitting complexities, that could be, what, 10, 20 years. Well, (laughs) we probably try to avoid those, right?
3: There's been been an eight-year project that I can think of right off. Some of the larger um, projects that it gets... One of the cool things, though, speaking of that, the two to three years, like Cassidy mentioned, that's one of the neat things about working for DU is that we can get from start to finish is fast compared to some of the other processes and I won't go into those details but um, it's very fulfilling to do those projects versus say a 10 year project which can be a standard time frame for projects and in, in other arenas that I've worked in yeah very cool
2: anything that we missed here guys we could dig into each of these projects the different activities that are in place and talk about what they're actually trying to accomplish but that'd be another episode or two together Jason Cassidy, Mike, anything that we miss that we want to make sure we highlight with regard to the partnership that we have, and this is only on kind of the habitat conservation side of things. Ducks Unlimited is involved in a lot of science and research as well, and we partner with our with LDWF and all of our state agency folks closely on that as well. But just from the habitat conservation side of things, we missing anything?
1: Just listening to these guys talk here, and it kind of an idea came across my mind, and I don't I don't have a, a a figure. Uh, at hand right now, but, um, you know, you think about all of the LDWFs, public lands, even the, the private lands that we're involved with, NRCS, the WRP program or WRE now, and uh, kind of just dawned on me that these guys have had their hands on most of those projects. And, uh, you know, speaking for the waterfowl program, that's uh, a, a really important partnership uh, going forward, past, present, and future.
2: yeah, but well, thank, thank you for that, jason. the The feeling is is mutual. I'll go back to something we heard at the luncheon today. Brian McClinton referred to. The relationship, the partnership between DU and LDWF, uh, being analogous to the the, the symbiotic relationship between the sea, anemone, the sea anemone and the clownfish. I wanted to raise my hand and ask which was the clownfish, but I chose not to. <laughs> but the, <laughs> but the point is that the. The relationship that we have is mutually beneficial. It's the same way with all the state agencies that we work. so, Jason, I appreciate you concluding on that. Thanks to each of you for being part of the conversation here. And thanks for all that you do to help Ducks Unlimited achieve its mission. So thank you, guys. Thanks for having thank us. You thank you, Mike. A special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Mike Carlos, Cassidy Lejeune, and Jason Olszak. We greatly appreciate their time and everything they do, that they do for wetlands conservation and waterfowl. As always, we thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for the terrific job he does with these episodes. getting them out to you. And to you, the listener, we thank you for your time. We thank you for support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org du podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks.